prepare our hearts for worship by hearing the words of the song. Now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 25. 
In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me put, be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long.
Lord. You hold me close. No matter if I don't want it, you still are there. You are my comfort. You are my shield. You will never leave me. Lord, I thank you for taking care of me every day. Lord, I thank you that you guide my steps wherever they may be. Lord, to think about you preparing a table and then in the presence of my enemies that I have to sit down and have a meal with someone I may not like. But Lord, I know you are sitting at that table with me. And all I can say is thank you, Lord. Hallelujah that you are there. Lord, I ask for your peace. Your peace. So we go where you lead us. That peace so that as we walk in that dark valley of death, Lord, that your peace overcomes all of that. So, Lord, your goodness and love follow us. Be with us. Help us to pass that on to everybody else. Lord, and I thank you. I thank you that I get to dwell in your house forever. Lord, I thank you for your peace, your confidence, and your joy. Be with us as we go through this day and this night. Protect us. Keep us close. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, for the ones online, especially, we will be taking communion today. So now is a good time for you to um, collect the items that you may need so that you can join in with that. Um, with us after Bill is done preaching today. Now, the children are invited for class today. Janice is by the door. She'll help you go down there. And I pray that you may grow in the grace and love of Jesus Christ and learn more about him today. Bill, I'm all done. I looked at my notes and I went, oh, I, I don't have anything else to say. I'm always ready for you to pray on, pray on. <laughs> well, good morning. It's good to be together. Just a quick moment of personal kind of reflection. You know, one of the things pastors do is help us as a community sort of process life and work through things as well as preach. The third Sunday in um, January is the confluence of two uh, moments in our culture, and I'd like to touch them real quickly. One, this is the Sunday that many churches set aside and remember Sanctity of Life Sunday. We think back on the 1973 decision of the Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade. Uh, shortly after that, I was a student at a conference with Dr. Francis Schaefer, and he began to help me uh, early on unpack the, some of the consequences and implications, uh, life-changing so many decades ago. And I never would have guessed at that time as I was trying to learn and understand that we would get to a moment where just this year uh, we had to stop elective surgeries and medical screenings, but abortion was a medically essential process and even life-sustaining. I'm thankful that I'm a part of Hardwike Ministries and we see this 
beginning to end commitment to the importance and sanctity of life. Uh, Gary Markvelor, there in the balcony, doing sound, um, is the executive director for the Lakeshore Pregnancy Center, working with people in that kind of circumstance and situation. One of our celebration folks, Bob and Gail uh, Holwarda, work with young lives, gathering things, helping mentor uh, pregnant and parenting teens. Neighbors Plus with Jen Redabush is providing housing, food where there's needs, kids hoped on house camp, mentoring kids in elementary school uh, as it gets older, our alternative suspension program, English is a second language. In the watershed community, the chair of our council, um, Craig Sills and his wife uh, Stacy, work with foster parenting and adoption. And Pastor Mary DeWitt with our grief share ministry, end of life issues. I want to tell you, it's right and good because of the gospel of God's grace that we think of all of life as precious and find ways to support and, and encourage. I in celebration, we're probably going to be doing Sanctity of Life Quarter, where I get to introduce all these ministries and give them three to four minutes. There's so many across the whole age span. Another thing that's fascinating about this Sunday for me, I, I have some training and some background in history, and it's an avocation. And one of the fascinating things about living in the United States is we have a, a history of reform movements. Um, citizens, because we're a part of this thing together, will see a problem and get to work dealing with it. One of my favorite reform movements in all of American history was actually led by pastors. And by pastors, I don't mean media stars who give sound bites. I mean folks who get up on Sunday and preach from the scripture to people. They're there for baptisms and weddings and funerals. They visit people in the hospital. All the things that pastors do, potlucks, budgets, all that mess. Well, a bunch of these pastors saw a problem and gathered together and began to train folks to respond to the problem. And to work with these pastors in this reform movement, you had to sign a commitment card. The commitment card had 10 commandments. I'm going to read to you a couple of them. This is always, this just blew me away when I first read this. First commitment by everybody in this movement, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Well, that's a good thing. Another one, remember always that this movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. That's worth pondering. Walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Now, I only hit a couple of these. You can find all of them and some background on the Sermon Resources blog page today. People, to march with these people, had to pray daily to be used by God in order that all people might be free. All. Here's one. Observe with both friend and foe. Hear that? Friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. But, but. Number six, and this is where I really see the gospel coming out. Refrain from violence with fist, tongue, and heart. Because from the heart come words. Who said that? Jesus. That's a Jesus idea. 
these were just a few of the commitments that these people had to, to march. It's, it's unique when an organization like the Southern Christian Leadership Conference gathers together local working pastors for reform. These were the commitments made, are you following me? For the Birmingham, Alabama campaign in 1963, the president of the Southern Christian Leadership Committee, Martin Luther King Jr. To march with him, you had to make those commitments. Isn't that interesting? I'll let that play out. Now, I, because I've studied Dr. King, I have a, another insight into his life. He was a sinner, <laughs> just like me. And we do well to learn from history, to be inspired by the strengths and warned by the weaknesses. Is, is that fair? See the strengths and be inspired. See the weaknesses and be warned. Because we're called to live faithfully right here where we are. It's challenging times. So it's a weekend. Let's pray. Jesus, we are living in a moment and yet we are living under your smile. And because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you will bear fruit in us to your glory and to the benefit of our neighbors. Thank you that you have condescended to speak into human language and it was carefully recorded, in this case, by Mark, the Apostle Peter's good friend. And it's been carefully preserved across centuries now so that we can open it up and look at it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are still at work to take the ink from the page, as it were, and to illumine our hearts and minds. Do that as we read your word and as I bring it uh, to your people. Guard us from my confusion and brokenness. But in all things, make Jesus glorified, high and lifted up, that he might draw men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation to that throne where one is seated, looking like a lamb who was slain. Our God, our rescuer, our hope. For we pray in his mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. I'll be reading from uh, Mark 5, 32 through 36 today. It's a, a central portion from a much larger story. This is, Mark has taken two encounters of people with Jesus and wrapped them up into one. Uh, Pastor Aaron, as we were collaborating this week, kept talking about it as a Mark sandwich. He takes two things and puts it together, and there's a great point for us. I'll just be reading a central portion of it. Hear the word of God. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had touched him. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, listen to this, daughter, the words of adoption, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the other character, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, as I said, this is one story, but there's two threads going on here. Two different people who at first glance are very, very different. One is on the inside. He's made it. 
If this were middle school, he'd be with the cool kids. The other is on the outside, powerless and alienated. Two people whose stories meet in this moment. Jarius, the synagogue ruler, and this nameless woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. One is in, the other is out. One is male, the other is female. One is a synagogue ruler. The other, ceremonially unclean, unable to gather with family, friends, worship, on the outside. One would be the, the head of a family, all gathered around him. The other, because of her uncleanness, ceremonial uncleanness, would have been isolated and alienated, not welcome at dinner, not able to join, not able to enter into community events. The synagogue ruler was connected, a power broker. He could fix that ticket. The other socially disconnected on the outside. And yet something brings these two people together in this moment. In truth, it's a collision of crises. That's plural of crisis. Each one had a crisis that grabbed their attention. But notice this, each crisis that comes before Jesus in this moment has been 12 years in the making. For Jairus, the crisis started when his daughter was born and the affection that any dad has for a daughter, the love as she grows, that first step, the first walking, as she brings him breakfast in bed, that marvelous relationship, 12 years of excitement, and now she is sick unto death. The other woman, at about the same time that the daughter was born, began with some sort of flow of blood, some bleeding. And one thing after the other, that would have meant she was ceremonially unclean and isolated. She went to doctors, spent all she had, was broke. Twelve years. You know, that's over 4,000 days of suffering. Over 100,000 hours struggling. One had a crisis of intensity. Out of 12 years of joy and love, suddenly the prospect of death crashes in. Another, hour by hour, day by day, 12 years, struggling to go forward, continuing to take a step, to try this, maybe that, maybe this, but nothing seemed to work. Each one of these people in a sense, is one side to the same coin. They each have a different crisis. One is intensity. The other is duration. And we face those things. Sometimes it explodes in on us. Other times, when will it end? Each of them represented a different side of the same coin, namely desperation. Desperation. Many years ago, 
we were living in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. I was leading a church right off the campus of Central Michigan University. And one night I had arranged to work with a student group. We were going to start with dinner because this was back in the day when no good ministry started without food, right? <laughs> you remember those days. So I gathered for dinner. We were going to meet later and train student leaders in small group dynamics, Bible study skills, give them some material, do some role play, kind of equip them. The goal of this group that I was having dinner with was to start a seeker's Bible study in every central Michigan dorm. And I was pumped about that. Well, partway through dinner, it was some kind of nondescript male student spaghetti. Um, one of them leaned out from the kitchen with the phone. Again, let me give you the historical context. It was back when phones had that, you know, wire connected to it. And he hollers to me from the kitchen, Pastor Bill, Pastor Bill. So I get up, take the phone, and it's my oldest daughter. Dad, she says, a dog bit Rachel's eye. Mom took her to the hospital. Now, I don't remember a lot after that, but apparently I did not check with my daughter on the phone to see where she and my son were and if they were well cared for. I apparently did not tell the students why I wasn't returning to dinner, much less all our ministry plan that night. And it seems I didn't even get my jacket. But I got in that car and I was at the hospital. I could not imagine my daughter being alone in that moment or, or Mary Lynn having to navigate with her that moment. When I read this text, that's how I connect to Jarius, this desperation. Somehow desperation clarifies the matter at hand, doesn't it? It brings our thinking into focus. There was nothing that was going to stand between me and that emergency room that night. Likewise, for Jarius and for the woman, they were getting to Jesus. Somehow desperation, the main thing becomes the only thing. Everything else is dropped and forgotten to pursue the urgent, the valuable, the important. Desperation is an equalizer, isn't it? I've been in more than enough emergency rooms in my time with people. There's a traumatic equality in emergency room, whether rich or poor, Great or small, you're dependent on the medical team at hand and the work they do. You don't control the outcome. In this story, it's outstanding to me to see both Jarius and the woman desperate to get to Jesus. There's an instruction, friends. They're not desperate to maintain their image or their status. Jarius had an image to maintain. When he walked into the room where his daughter was dead, he was unclean. He was out of work for a while. He had something to preserve, but who wants to preserve it when it's your children? For the other, the woman, everything she'd hoped for had slowly ebbed away for 12 years. No, doesn't matter. I'm getting to Jesus. Notice neither of these desperate people are a project for Jesus. It's fascinating. He doesn't see them as a problem to be fixed or an opportunity to show off. Oh, uh, let me fix it. Nobody else can. I'm the Messiah, by the way. Nothing to show. He recognizes them as the desperate people in need they are. They're welcomed. 
They're loved by the only one who can really meet their need. And he cares for them. They wanted him and they got him. And that's what mattered. Now, Jairus' daughter was healed. The woman was healed. And Jesus responds to each of them, to to the woman. He says, daughter, I love that language of adoption. That's why adoption is so powerful as a metaphor for what God does in our lives. Daughter, your faith has healed you. And in that moment, he's been distracted caring for her. And now Jairus gets the message of his daughter's death. He looks at him and says, keep believing. Now, each of them are an instrument for teaching us about faith. And because the Greek word faith, pistis, is the noun, pisteo, you hear the similarities, the verb. There's a noun and a verb. He speaks the noun, your faith has healed you. And he tells Jarius to keep the verb believing. We might think better of this moment as belief and believe. There's a noun form, there's a verb form. And as we look at them and we see the centrality of faith, there's an important thing for us to learn. Faith for these people was not a transaction that gets you what you want. They wanted Jesus. They got him. Jesus took care of them. You know, five times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, faith is referred to with the metaphor of a mustard seed. Matthew 17, 20 says it powerfully. Faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. It's not about the size of the faith, but it's about the object that faith lays hold of. And mountains get moved. I want you to see that faith in the Bible is not an operative thing. If you do this, you get that. Has anybody ever told you if you had more faith, you could get fill in the blank? That's an example of operative faith. Faith is about you and how you operate. And let me summarize that biblically. It's a lie. It's the prosperity theology that permeates American culture. The power of faith doesn't come from you. The power of faith is in the object to which you cling. Jarius needed to get to Jesus. It wasn't about it. the strength of the weakness of his faith. The woman needed to touch Jesus. It had nothing to do with her. Friends, I want to tell you, it's not a transaction that gets you what you want. Some days my faith is up. Some days my faith is down. Every day my God is able. That's the one I cling to. Oh, friends, that we could see this and understand it. Faith, even as a mustard seed, is a connection to the one you need. And it's that faith that's commended for both Jarius to continue with and for the woman as she lays hold of Jesus. They get what he is giving because they have him, and that's enough. As we turn to communion, I hope that our circumstances are not as desperate as Jarius or or that woman on that day. Yet I do hope this, that in our thinking, we are as focused on Christ as they were. 
that we are willing to lay aside our image, our fears, our trust in self. We are willing to lay aside everything to lay hold of Jesus, trusting in nothing else but Christ alone, hoping in nothing else than to be with him, to meet him at the table, to live in the promise of his life as we leave this place. Jarius and the woman, show us the power of faith is in the object that it pursues. Be encouraged. He is a good God and he is able. Let me pray for you and I'll turn things over. Father, you've loved us. Sometimes we come stumbling. Sometimes we come in our best clothes. Other times we aren't even sure where we are. And yet we hear the voice of Jesus. Come all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Thank you for your great love for your people and the promise of your word to meet us at this table. For we pray in the marvelous name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So one positive of taking communion in this way is that we can all partake together. So I encourage you to wait a little bit longer before we partake of our communion. We come to this table of remembrance, communion, and hope, not as self-sufficient people, but as people dependent on the grace of God. Please pray with me. We praise you, gracious Father, for you have created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us, even when we fell into sin. We confess that we have fallen short of glorifying you through our thoughts, words, and deeds. Please extend your mercy and forgive us. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, by whose grace we may triumph over temptation, be more fervent in prayer, and more generous in love. In Jesus' name, amen. At the Last Supper, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant and my blood. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. So whenever we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we are reminded that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. This table is for all who believe in the Lord Jesus as Savior and desire to live in obedience to him. So now, if you would like to partake this morning, you may grab your communion elements. I've been cautioned to only open the juice portion, um, not all the way. So... Feel free to partake together. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Thanks be to God.
before you're dismissed, a quick word. Um, Rachel's eye was not touched uh, by the dog. It was uh, it didn't affect her vision. And as a the bold and brave dad that I am, I made sure she didn't see me as I closed my eyes and wobbled. And the doctor stitched her face. She was fine. Um, she did get an insurance settlement. I'll, I'll give you the rest of the story. It's interesting. And we put that money in the bank and saved it until she was a student at Hope College. And in her major, she needed a car so she could get over to a school and start student teaching. <laughs> and she student talked with Kim Fox and Hardwick and that way began to minister to our family years ago in that way. I don't know what your crisis is. It could be a crisis of duration or of intensity. But the good news is, is there's a God who's able and he's good. Get hold of him. And if your faith feels weak, get hold of him. And if your faith feels strong, get hold of him. And if you see somebody on Monday or Wednesday or Thursday who needs encouragement, help them get to Jesus. Now, here's the benediction of our God. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen? Amen. You're loved by God. Go out in that strength. Ha! Ah.